All right, you got your Bibles. Go to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 28. Acts chapter 28. And we'll be in verse 17 through 31. Uh, this is the conclusion for us uh, of the book of Acts. So I don't know, was that a woohoo? I don't know what that was for. Like, yeah, we're finally done with it. So, uh, so we started this series, um, I had to look all the way back, September 8th, 2019. Uh, yeah, a lot, uh, not much has happened between then and now. And so we're, we're, we're good, right? Um, we have spent uh, 50 plus weeks in the book of Acts. I lost count at 53. So um, obviously that means we went through most of the COVID season uh, in Acts. We have covered 1,000, at the end of today, we'll cover 1,007 verses. You're nearly like, is that typical? Yeah, that's typical. Uh, that's what we do here at the Park Church. We preach through books of the Bible. Not typically do they take us that long. Um, so maybe I should first tell or say to all of you, thank you. <laughs> all right? Thanks for uh, sitting through uh, two and a half years, uh, 1,007 verses, 50 plus weeks of teaching through one book. Um, that is, uh, in, in the church world, that is unusual. Um, we're around a lot of, of folks who uh, their kind of steady diet in terms of church leadership is four to six week sprints. And, uh, you know, when I tell people, yeah, we're in our 50 whatever week of Acts, they're like, what's wrong with you? I did Acts in eight weeks. Come on, you know? I'm like, really? Okay, well, you skipped some stuff. Uh, well, so it's not pitting teaching against each other. It's just what God's called us to do. So uh, that's how we teach here. But I, I want to say thank you. Thank you for walking through that and still finding joy in that and still finding um, all the ways that the Lord is still communicating in such a, a, a long uh, series. And so I want to read our final uh, section together here in the book of Acts. So stand with me in honor of God's word. Acts chapter 28, verse 17. Uh, the, it will be, the scripture will also be on the screen behind me if you don't have a copy of God's word before you. After three days, he, that's Paul, called together the local leaders of the Jews. And when they had gathered, he said to them, brothers, Though I had done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. When they had examined me, they wished to set me at liberty, because there was no reason for the death penalty in my case. But because the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, though I had no charge to bring against my nation. For this reason, therefore, I have asked to, to see you and speak with you, since it is because of the hope of Israel that I am wearing this chain. And they said to him, we have received no letter from Judea about you, and none of the brothers coming here has reported or spoken any evil about you. But we desire to hear from you what your views are. For with regard to this sect, we know that everywhere it is spoken against. Verse 23, when they had appointed a day for him, they came to him at his lodging in greater numbers. From morning till evening, he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. And some were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved. And disagreeing among themselves, they departed after Paul made one statement. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet, Go to this people and say, You will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's hearts has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed. Lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. 
He lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. This is the word of the Lord. So that's the ending. Um, So Acts is actually volume two from the Gospel of Luke. Luke is the writer of the book of Acts. And he wrote a two-volume set, and the first one carries his name. In Luke chapter 1, verse 1, uh, we have come a long way to where we are in Acts chapter 28, verse 31. If you remember Luke chapter 1, it's the story of Zechariah, right, and the coming of John the Baptist and the birth of Christ. Now we come to the conclusion of Acts 28. That covers nearly six decades. 60 years. Most scholars believe that this time written here at the end of Acts is uh, 60 AD, uh, with Paul here in prison. Six decades. And Luke has taken us on quite a journey. Many of you have read the book of Luke, right? And and you know how how well Luke writes, and then we've together journeyed through uh, 1,007 verses, and so you know how well Luke writes in the book of Acts. But his ending, if I'm being honest, seems a bit surprising. It seems a bit, maybe, can we use the word frustrating? And endings are important, correct? Uh, Tessa and I, we were watching a, a show, and it has multiple seasons, and we, we knew uh, that they were only going to do four seasons of this show. So we watched season one, season two, season three, and then we get to like the final season, season four, right? And we're watching each episode, and we're like, wow, this thing is, I mean, there are a lot of loose ends, happening here, right? And so episode one, two, three, four, five, six, we get seven, right? And there's one more. And after episode seven, right? The one before the last one, I like turn to her and I'm like, how in the world, right? There's this loose end and that loose end. There's this, like how, how in the world is he going to, the writer going to get us from all these loose ends to this conclusion, right? Like, how's he going to wrap up all these loose ends? Well, here's the reality. He did. In episode eight, he was just like, he broke out every cliche and everything was just like, boom, and here it is. She fell in love with him and they fixed this and they did that. And it was just like, and you're at the end of eight, I was like, why did we invest four seasons in this garbage for him? It was just like the writer was like, forget it. I can't write anymore. And I'm just concluding it or like money ran out. I don't know what happened, but um, what happened with Luke? Because what I just read to you, be honest, would probably fit if you've been with us. Almost anywhere in Luke, really, at least in the last five, six, seven chapters, okay, after 20. Like, would it fit in in, in the middle? Would it fit in the end? Yeah, but why is this the conclusion? Luke, there are some loose ends I need you to tie up. Anybody else saying that? Like, Luke, Luke, you didn't tell what happened to Paul. He's in prison. In this conclusion, and I'm going to do my best to, to, to wrap it up. This conclusion in this way by Luke, the author, begs a question. A question I have been asking here. Why? Is it purposeful, right? We believe that all, all scripture is spirit-inspired, ordained by the Holy Spirit, written through men. Why does Luke in the book of Acts this way? Is it meant to be frustrating? Is it meant to be surprising? Is it meant to feel inconclusive. Well, we might see that this end, and this is what I want to do for four points, and the fifth one I really want to drive home, 
we might see that this conclusion is actually more conclusive than we see on the surface. So first thing, I have, I have four points and then a fifth one that I'll spend most of my time on. The first one, I'll look at verses 17 through 20. This ending reminds us, the first thing, this ending reminds us of who the real hero is in the story. Who the real hero is in the story, the whole story, Jesus. You see, Luke didn't intend to write a biography of Paul. Most of the things that we were wrestling, even that I came with at the end of Acts going, what about this? What about that? They were about Paul. They were about Rome. They were about Caesar. They were about, did Paul get here or get there? Luke purposed to describe the acts of, it's all right, that's the Bible. Luke purposed to describe the acts of the Lord Jesus accomplished by the Spirit. He set out to describe the unstoppable progress of the gospel. In fact, the gospel of Luke set out to tell all that Jesus began to do and teach until he was taken up. That's Acts chapter 1 that we covered. You see, the book of Acts then is all about Jesus. It's all about his ministry continuing through the Spirit and by the church. That Luke leaves us with Paul preaching the mighty gospel of the kingdom of God in Rome. That's how he leaves us, right? With power, without hindrance. And in choosing to walk away from the story, hear this, Luke masterfully keeps the king, capital K, king, not Paul or anyone else as the hero of Acts. Luke concludes Acts on a note of victory with the triumph of the king. Did you notice in verses 17 to 20, that is Paul before a Jewish audience recounting, recounting how he got there. And if you, you look in the text, it talks about his innocence. He goes, listen, I was innocent. They brought me in innocently. They, they, they had no charge against me, yet I appealed to Caesar. But yet I didn't know what to appeal to Caesar because there was real no charge against me that I was guilty of. But yet here I am in chains before you. You say, well, what does this have to do with the hero of the story, Jesus? Okay, think back to the gospel of Luke. How does Luke describe Jesus, the hero, the king of the story, right? How does he describe Jesus' final days here on earth? The innocent man. Perfectly innocent. Not like Paul's innocence, but perfectly in every way innocent. Now before authorities, with no charge that he could ever be guilty before him, standing there in chains. You see, Paul wants to be so tied to Jesus that he is explaining his situation to mirror the hero, to go, listen, I'm not fretting. I'm not worried. Here's what I want you to see. I want you to see that my life is completely surrendered to Jesus. And if my life looks like him, even in suffering, I want to tell you about him. I want to tell you about his story. I want to be so closely aligned with him that even as I'm at the end of this time in Acts, I'm going to share my Savior. You see, the point of Acts is not what happens to Paul, but rather the kingdom that has come. You say, but Kyle, what happens to Paul? <laughs> okay, so I'll tell you so you won't ask me after the service. Here's what happens to Paul. This is 60 AD. Paul goes on in prison to write letters. Philippians, Ephesians, uh, Colossians, uh, Philemon. He writes a second Timothy, possibly when he's actually out free from house arrest for a short period of time. Paul, most scholars believe that he makes it, actually makes it to Spain, right? It was a, a vision from the Lord came. He actually makes it to Spain to proclaim the gospel. 
But sometime in probably 66 to 67 AD, Paul is rearrested and brought back down to Rome where he is beheaded by Nero. That's what happens to Paul. That's what happens to him. That's Paul's life. That's the conclusion. But Luke, why wouldn't you include that? Because Luke doesn't want us to be distracted. Luke wants us to be clear that there's one hero of this story. It's not about Paul, as great as he is, as faithful as he is, being a martyr for the gospel, as amazing as that is. This is about what verse 20 says, the hope of Israel, the Messiah, the Christ, the Savior, the King who has come. That's what we've been hearing all through Acts 28 chapters. You see, we love, in our day and our age, the stories of a hero, don't we? In media and all these things, movies, all these things. We love the story of the hero in our lives. But oftentimes, who's the hero in our lives? Boop. You, me. How we save ourselves, how we do this, how we think our way out of this. And what the scriptures constantly remind us is you're not a hero, you don't want to be the hero, and you never can be. There's only one, Jesus. Acts is ending with that on display. Second thing, as we go quickly. This ending not only shows the hero of the story, but it solidifies the message and mission of Paul, which is not a different message and mission than we have as disciples. Verse 23, I want you to particularly look at that. It says this, and this could really sum up all of Paul's ministry. So some of you, you haven't been here through any of our teachings and acts. I'm glad that you're here. You're going to get like the sum total right here in one verse. And when they had appointed a day for him, they came to him. So this is back. The Jews are coming to him at his lodging in great number. From morning till evening, he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. What is Paul's singular mission in this life? Exactly what Jesus told him, right? You're going to be what? You're going to be my servant and my witness. Witness of what? The gospel of Jesus Christ. So here Paul is in prison and the message and the mission is still the same. He is sharing Christ with these Jews. And notice there were three verbs there. Did you pick that up? Expound, testify, and convince. Those are in a purposeful order, okay? Those build on each other. So expounding, here's the Greek word. It's meant to convey information, preaching and teaching. It literally says from morning till evening, like, you thought I preached for a long time? Like Paul brought it all the time, all day, all night. Remember the kid who fell out the window because he preached for so long, right? Like, here we go. He's going out. Like he didn't learn his lesson there. He's continuing to preach day and night, conveying right, good doctrine and information. But that's not it. That's not it. Look at the next verb. Paul's witnessing. There is an idea here with witnessing or testimony of it being very personal from Paul. So Paul's not going, hey, just let, me, let me just get this intellectual knowledge out there for you, okay? Let me just disseminate the right information, even though he does that. He goes, listen, this is personal. That gospel, that right doctrine, that right theology kicked me off my donkey on the road to Damascus. Shackles, uh, scales that blinded my eyes fell off. I was blind, I see. It's personal. You see, as disciples, our, 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 our mission and our message is the same. It's not just getting out there intellectual knowledge so we can just be a bunch of big, you know, big heads, you know, walking around and so proud of all this accumulation. But it's personal for us. Jesus saved me. He saved you. He's redeemed us and changed us. And then the third verb here is that he was trying to convince. 
Now, this is not like a salesman kind of like, yeah, you know, but this is like with a passion that a truth, this truth, this gospel truth would not just stay with him, that he wanted to call others to join him, right? So it's right information, right doctrine, right theology that is personal. Yes, that it has transformed our hearts. And then it's this, come with me. Trust in the same Jesus who has cared for me like no one else. This God who has saved my life, this, this, this Savior who has redeemed me, who's given me a new name. My old life is gone. It's new. Listen, come. Come on. That what you're searching for, I, I, I know what it is because I've, I've been there. Come with me. It's compelling. It's convincing them. You see, the content of his message was without question. You see it here in, in Acts chapter 28. It's the kingdom of God. It's Jesus, the the prophesied Messiah of the Old Testament. It's that he is resurrected. And that's what Paul is proclaiming. And that's what Luke is reminding here in his final words to us. Your message and your mission are the same as Paul's. Third thing. This ending points to the power of the Holy Spirit. Points to the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit... Uh, right, is something we've seen um, as common thread throughout this whole book. In fact, the subtitle of even this series has been Acts of the Holy Spirit, right? Jesus' ministry now carried out by the Spirit through the church. Um, this ending shows the power of the Holy Spirit. You say, Kyle, where, where do you see that? Verse 24, after Paul preaches, he proclaims what happens. Verse 24, and some were convinced by what he said. In other words, some believed. They were saved. Why were they saved? Paul's eloquence? Paul's an apostle, and they're like, whoa, he's an apostle. No, they were saved because the Holy Spirit opened their eyes. Right? This is what he says from Isaiah 6. They were saved because their hard hearts were turned into flesh hearts, hearts that felt, hearts that beat with the gospel grace that was enlivened to them because of the Spirit. This is what the Spirit does. It's not the Parks Church that saves. It's not you that saves, Right? It's not your eloquence. It's not your wisdom. It's not your intellect. It is the Holy Spirit that saves. And that's on display here at the end of of Acts. Also, verse 25, right? The Holy Spirit being the author and director of the scriptures. Paul says that about Isaiah 6. He goes, listen, the Holy Spirit was right when he said. You want to know why we preach 57 sermons through the book of Acts? Because the Holy Spirit is right when he says. When he says these things when he illuminates them to our hearts and our lives. Fourth, this ending reminds us that nothing can hinder the gospel. Right? If it's not on us, it's not up to us to save, then we trust the Holy Spirit and we believe that nothing can hinder the Holy Spirit from the gospel going forth. You see, Paul was chained up here in house arrest. And he would say in 2 Timothy chapter 2, I believe it's in verse 9, he would say, yes, I am bound, but the word of God cannot be bound. Right? There's no hindrance. And we've seen this already, that, that he was hindered, yes, Paul, from traveling beyond a certain area, and I would say a certain residence, but the word of God was not. We've seen this throughout Acts. Look at this. Look, look at the movement of the gospel in Acts. So the word of God spread. The disciples in Jerusalem increased greatly in number and a large group of priests became obedient to faith. Literally, the priests were being saved 
Acts chapter 6. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was strengthened, living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit. It increased in numbers, right? It's growing. Acts chapter 9. But the word of God flourished and multiplied, Acts chapter 12. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and grew daily in numbers, Acts chapter 16. In this way, the word of the Lord flourished and prevailed, Acts chapter 19. Now you need to add one more to that. Acts chapter 28, verse 31. The kingdom of God, teaching about the Lord Jesus with all boldness, without hindrance. It went forward and nothing can stop it. Church, that should be good news for us. That nothing hinders the word of God from going forward. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving. You see, this ending is essentially saying what Jesus said to his disciples in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, right? The whole thesis verse for this book. What does he say? He says, for you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea. Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. You saw every single one of those cities in those verses. We can look now here at Acts chapter 28 and go exactly what Jesus says is exactly what's taking place. Why? Because that's what happens when Jesus speaks. Exactly what he says takes place. The kingdom is breaking forth. It's being accomplished and advancing all right, my final point, and here's where I'm going to try to land this plane and wrap it up. And I'm going to try to write my best ending to a sermon to a thousand seven verses. So that's why I'm going to read it, because I want to be very careful with my ending. Because I think this ending, what it does, purposefully inspired by the Holy Spirit, puts before us an invitation. An invitation and a question particularly. And the question is this. Will you participate? Do you realize what you are part of, church, disciple, follower of Jesus? Do you understand what God has given you through his son and now his spirit inside of you? You see, the end here in Acts chapter 28, verse 31, is a freeze frame. That's what you should have felt. All of a sudden, stops. Paul proclaiming the gospel in Rome with boldness and without hindrance. You see, as a reader, we are left to decide how this story should end. We're pulled into it. Participants in the kingdom's work. See, I'm convinced that Luke ended Acts this way, so it wasn't something that we could just read and close the book and walk away from. There is no final moment or final conclusion. And that's Luke's simple way of saying that this story is still unfolding and still being carried on in spirit-filled communities, in churches today, both individually and corporately. And he's going, do you want in on this story? What is your place in this story of Acts? And I mean that as personally as possible. For some of you, what you're confronted with is the invitation of Christ himself. Trusting him, obeying him, following him, seeing him for who he is, Savior. For many of you who have trusted in him, the invitation to you is will you participate? Do you know your place in this story? 
that the open-endedness of this story in Acts 28 is to you and to me and to the Parks Church here in McKinney, Texas in 2021. What will you do with it? How will you step into that which is not fully ended yet? We use that term a lot, right? The already, not yet. That not yet is this continuation. See, Hebrews 12 Hebrews 12 says this, the writer of Hebrews says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, that great cloud of witnesses is Paul, Abraham, Moses, Peter, Andrew, the disciples, the people who went before us, the martyrs, right? The the, the missionaries that we've all heard stories of. Your grandmother, your great grandmother who laid the foundation for you, such a great cloud of witnesses to Christ. We're surrounded by them. Does that mean the story has ended with them? Well, let's find out, Hebrews. Let us. Okay, now it moves to us. We have this great cloud of witnesses. Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And let us too run with endurance the race that is set before us. So we look at those people, we look at Paul, we look at Peter, we look at Abraham, we look at Moses, we look at this cloud of witnesses, we look at those people in our lives who have exemplified Christ, and we go, listen, I want to run like they ran. A faithful race, a race with endurance. It means that the race is still going, right? That's what he's saying. Let us consider how we then run after seeing these great clouds of witnesses. You see, as we've already looked at, nothing will hinder the gospel from being preached to the whole world. Jesus' end goal of it going to all nations and all peoples will be accomplished. There's no ruler who can stop that. There's no storm that can capsize that. There's no shipwreck that could destroy it. There's no serpent who can poison it, right? And that's just last chapter that we walked through, right? If you were with us. And Acts concludes that the gospel will be preached, proclaimed, that the gospel will be taken to all the nations. And then what should hit us and be hitting us right now is this. Oh, wait, we're the ones called to take it. We're the ones called to carry it. The story is open-ended because the task is ours. Would our lives, think about this, would our lives in our church make sense in a chapter in the book of Acts, right? It's been being written for 2,000 years. So whatever chapter in Acts we would be, would your life and the life of this church make sense where we'd be like, man, that was a hard shift. Like generosity and joy and community and affection for Jesus and zeal and worship. And they attended service 75 minutes once a week. When they could. Like what? Like what it makes it? Be honest. You see, we are always given the option in Acts of closing the book and walking away from it. Reading it as something that happened back then to those people so different from the world we live in and the lives we live in today. Or maybe, oh, that that book is really good for guys and gals like you, Kyle. Or for foreign missionaries And those called to ministry, whatever that means. You see, you can reject it and go about living your own life. Or just as easily, what I think occurs more in the Bible Belt is that you can disengage from it. 
oh, believe it and trust it, but yet not really see how much is at stake. That you can go on saying that you receive everything from Acts, but not realize that makes you part of Acts. The story of Jesus's ministry being carried out by the Holy Spirit in the life of his followers, that makes you part of that. How small is it that we think that our faith is some private thing we do? Or prayer that we pray at some point in our life and go on with life hoping for heaven someday and live the rest of our life on our own terms with our own ideas and ideals. We say a silent prayer and then go on about our business. Saved. But when we read books like Acts and we read that there is no longer going about our business any longer, we're confronted. You see, to receive this book, hear me, is to receive the calling of it, to participate in it, to take up the work of this story still unfinished. And Luke wants to shake us out of this tendency to just consume and not participate and to help us see that following Jesus is so much more than we realized. And all the joy and all the excitement and all the passion of this story is left to us, to you and to me. The church here in 2021, that according to Acts, Christianity is not just simply a set of beliefs that when we receive Christ and his Holy Spirit, we just don't receive doctrine or, or, or get invited into a club that has certain rules and regulations to keep membership. Christianity is a kingdom with a king who has saved us, who has redeemed us and called us citizens of a new kingdom who's in fact went one step further and said, you're my son and you're my daughter. A king who is leading a rebellion against the greatest enemy of the world. That it's a revolution taking place in cities and homes and workplaces and occupations and governments and marriages and in relationships. And what we receive is an invitation to, to participate with all its risks and hopes and costs and expectations and anticipation. To go into that world with hearts of reconciliation, with hearts of love and grace and power and boldness. You see, what I hope happens this morning as we close, even as we close in taking communion, as we close in prayer, as we close our time together in talking with each other in fellowship, as we head to our lunches, as we walk away from the final verses of Acts. I hope we don't walk away from the sense of what we have received and the call of what we are to do as disciples. Listen, Acts is our story as believers. The church, that God is continuing to move in power. A new kingdom is coming on earth as it is in heaven. And our place, we'd see and recognize our place in this story. See, one of the things I've been praying for us throughout this week, and even as the elders, we got, we got together, we get together every service before the first service, and we pray. And one of the things we've prayed, because you're going, okay, what's my part? Tell me my role. Tell me what I, what I need to do, Kyle, right? Because we're people who love answers, right? We love conclusions. We like to be told what to do. And what we have been praying for you, because I'm not going to give you that. I'm not going to give you your role. I'm not going to give you a responsibility. I've been pleading and begging that the Holy Spirit would do that. Specifically to your heart, to my heart. Your role, your part and your participation in this kingdom advancing powerfully. You see, 
Paul's story doesn't come to an end here. It's like a baton and a relay team. It gets passed to you and to me. And what I do with this story, what do I do with it? I've inherited it. A great cloud of witnesses. Like we're part of the greatest story ever told on earth. And you have a part in it. By receiving it, you have a calling and a responsibility. A place in this story, a work to be taken up. And so as we close this book as a church, my prayer is that we, that we see what we have because of this story. We have an unshakable hope in Christ. If you follow Jesus, you have an unshakable hope in him. A confidence from his spirit, a courage, but also the responsibility of it the sacrifices, the things we are called to, the vocations we are called to live out because of it. So, yes, the ending seems incomplete and unfinished. That's because it is. That's because it is. And the question is, how will we respond? Let me pray for us. Father, I am thankful, so thankful for your word that leads us to these places in my heart and I know in so many hearts of this community of deep conviction. that oftentimes we do not steward the gift of grace and the spirit that is in us. God, I ask that you would speak to your people specifically, that even this week would be a tidal wave of your voice through the scriptures, in prayer, in gospel community, in praxis groups. That it would be a tidal wave of your voice making clear our roles as disciple makers, as lovers of Jesus, as followers of Christ, as a community of faith, the places and the spaces that you're calling us to. God, you'd remind us in the spheres of our family, in work, in school, in vocation, in ministry. God, you'd remind us that our chief goal is to embody and present you in a wincing, compelling way, the grace that has saved us. God, I pray that you would dig a deep hunger in this church. Grow our appetite. Decrease our apathy, Lord, I pray. God, our lives in this church, I want it to make sense in the book of Acts. God, help us to overcome many fears that entangle us many doubts and struggles and anxieties. Father, I thank you for a church that is willing to wrestle deeply with the things of your heart. So now give us the faith to obey them. Give us the strength this week to look more like Jesus than we did last week. For your glory, in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. 
and amen. And now we'll take communion, very fitting, that we'll take the Lord's Supper together. And we have some hosts in back. Is there anyone who needs um, the elements of communion? Just slip up your hand and our, our guys and gals will get it for you. So we have one over here, some in the back. So we'll give a few, few seconds. Just kind of keep your hand up. They'll get it to you. I long for the day where we're able to walk and do this again like we used to. Hopefully soon. Thanks, guys. The, uh, the access we have to the kingdom, the kingdom of God, was purchased for us. You, you didn't gain access into the kingdom of God because you were a good moral person. You gain entrance into the kingdom of God because there was a man who gave his life, his perfect life, and that's Jesus, the one we've been talking about this morning. And so if you don't know him this morning, I want to invite you, I want to compel you as, as, as best I can to go on a journey to discover who he is. And we've got people here who want to go on that journey with you. Maybe though you'd be at that place today and you put your faith and trust in Christ and this would be the first time you you take communion as a believer in Jesus. This is the only thing we do here at the Parks Church that's closed. And what I mean by that is that, that communion is reserved for followers of Jesus. And so if you'd say, hey, I'm just not at that place yet, we just ask that you wouldn't take these elements. Um, but for everyone else, I'd invite you to take them. And so um, stand with me as we get ready to partake of these elements. On the night in which uh, Jesus was betrayed, the scriptures tell us that he sat down with a final meal with his disciples and after giving thanks, he took bread and he broke it. And he told his disciples that this bread represented his body broken for them and for, for you and for me. And that every time we take it, that we'd remember his broken body for us, what was required for salvation. And so let's take this broken bread together, remembering our Savior. And in the same manner and fashion, he took the cup. And he said that this cup represents my blood, my blood that is the new covenant, meaning that the old covenant was fulfilled in him, that there was a new way of salvation, and that's by faith and trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ. You see, the finished work of salvation is done. The unfinished work of that salvation going to the ends of the earth is not done. But praise be to God, the finished work of salvation is complete. And so we take this cup remembering the new covenant that's been applied to us. So let's take the blood of Christ together. Parks Church, you know the answer to this. What is the only fitting response to communion? Worship. So let's worship our God in prayer right now. Father, thank you. Thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. With, with, with bread in our teeth and juice on our 
on our breath, Lord God, we lift our voices to you to say thank you, that we worship you, that we love you for saving us, redeeming us, Lord God. And I pray that we might live with, with our lips uh, declaring that and our lives declaring it this week, that we are the children of God, we are the church of God, God, and there's nothing that can hinder you. And so, Lord, I thank you for calling us sons and daughters. May we live in light of that grace and goodness this week. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen and amen.